when we first started, the big divide that everybody was always writing about were these silos and functional, functional divisions within companies. And today, there is not a corporation that doesn't have some sort of cross-functional orientation, teaming, and process that, that takes, takes that on. I'm declaring that the big divide that's causing the productivity problem is not functional, but time-based. It's the near-term versus the long-term. It's the split. It's why the product line people say, okay, you corporate innovation people, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. We need incorporation, large corporations, to be able to bridge that divide. That divide is incredibly big and it's very important if we want to improve productivity. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. I hope you're all having a good uh, spring. I guess it's spring now in, in many places in the world, maybe not all, but uh, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere where majority of our listeners are. I'm joined today by uh, an old friend who uh, spoke with us last year, Paul O'Connor. Paul is the founder and head of Adept PLM. Adept helps medium and large size companies create, improve, rejuvenate, and pivot products, portfolios, and product lines. If any of those words of, of interest, go back and listen to the podcast uh, we did with him last year on single versus multi-product mindsets. It was a really good one. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hi, Paul. It's nice to see you again. Uh, yeah. Nice to hear you. I know you're in Europe. I'm over here in Florida, and it's just uh, great to have the connection again. Yeah, it is. It is. Things going well for you? Business, uh, business holding up in a remote world? Holding up, and everybody is uh, doing well, and we're, 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 we're moving along, just like everybody else, just uh, moving along with all that we could do. Yeah, yeah. I bet, uh, I bet you've seen a lot of change in the way you interact with your, your clients. Well, it, it has changed a lot, and just like everybody else, uh, the, all the on-site stuff has uh, changed. Uh, the interactions become different. I find that uh, sometimes getting into deeper dialogues around complex topics gets a little bit harder when you're not in person and needs to be repeated and go through it again and again to, to discuss some of this stuff. But I think that we're all coming out of this and we're going to see a much more powerful uh, workforce and also companies moving forward in the new, next decade because of it all. Definitely. For me, the, my biggest challenge is the person in the corner in the back of the room that, you know, when they were, they were live, you could see, okay, that person needs to be maybe focused on a little bit or, or, or brought back in because they, they're not able to join the conversation where you could do that. Now it's harder to do that virtually. And you got to just be more aware of that. Yeah. You're looking at all the pictures on your team's screen and trying to say, okay, who's, who's saying what, who's, yeah. who's, who, who's muted themselves to get out of here. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, that's true. Yeah. And even when all the cameras are on teams just happens to show you some of the people, right? 
Yeah. Engagement becomes a challenge for everybody on both sides of of the discussion. So, and everybody knows it and that's what we're all dealing with, right? There you go. (laughs) Well, Paul, you, you created a, a white paper recently that I downloaded and read. I thought it was a really good one. And it was about corporate innovation productivity. And the, the, the subtitle was really one that grabbed you is how to fix corporate innovations decades long productivity problem. And it was a really good white paper. And thanks for coming back on the show. And I, I'd just love to talk to you about that and what you're seeing out there and, and kind of what your approach is on that. All right. This is a, a very important paper for us to take on. Uh, and it, it's, it's the linking of corporate innovation. This is the, the corporate innovation would be the strategic, the radical, the big breakthrough innovations that happen in the corporate or business unit level that are not necessarily specific to a product line or have not been specific to a product line. And many people have been involved in this for over many decades. Uh, One of the problems that I've always felt about how that plays out is that the productivity, the, the output over input, the productivity of corporate innovation is not as good as it should be. In fact, a lot of people would report it to be negative. And instead of having great productivity output over input, those that are involved in it want to fall back on stories that are about a a single success or a moderate success, something that people can relate to. They can pick out a name of a company that they know, and then they say, well, they did this, and then therefore it it works. Unfortunately, in the game of things, this is just dodging the question of, of, is this a productive endeavor? The reason productivity becomes real important is because of what we've experienced over the last decade and where things may go into the next decade. One of the things that we know about economies and companies is that when things are growing, if the economy is growing, it forgives lots of mistakes and it absorbs lots of underproductive activity. It's like it's being things in the company are just being pulled along. When things are not growing, let's say we get into inflation and stagflation, inflation with a recession. My goodness, this can be real tough. The problem with stagflation, which is possible going forward here, is that the only way out is through increased productivity. And the way out is always by companies cutting less than good productivity productivity activities. So, so, and this is, by the way, if you look back on our history, Paul, this was the origin of lean coming out of the 70s and 80s that we experienced. We had stagflation in the 70s and and we had uh, ups and downs and recession during the 80s. That's the birthplace of lean. We're going to see that being held really to the core of what a company is about if we end up in this uh, desire to go into more productivity. And the issue for innovation is not the incremental stuff that goes on in productivity. That happens all the time and it's right on target for what's going on with the product line, but rather bringing big or better radical innovations into the company and what that's about. That's not been very good. That's not been very in big companies. In in small companies, it's been it's been okay because that's what their lifeblood is. That's what they are. And I I would point out the fact that we know things now that we didn't know then. I, uh, there's a couple of research studies that are really 
really important to me on this. One was done by a professor at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Her, her name is uh, Anne-Marie Knotts. She looked at R&D productivity, and it is essentially what we're talking about with uh, corporate innovation, and showed us that companies are terrible with this. They're just terrible. And she, she pulled the numbers out and showed how companies overspend and underspend and never hit it quite right. She isn't an advocate of doing any single process or doing this better. She's just showing that it is, it is bad. And if you have a sweet spot of where you can get to with your investment in corporate innovation, you're going to be better off. One of the things that hit me about what's, what she was showing, for example, was that innovation that contributes to, to current product lines, not the creation of new stuff, right. but contributes to current product lines, is far more productive than finding these new radical innovations to take us into new, new business. Now, that's a big deal. Because, you know, my experience when I used to head up PDMA, Product Development Managers Association, I've been to like conferences all over and I've talked to all, all sorts of people involved in, in aspects of corporate innovation and been involved in it myself, by, by the way, very deeply, I mean, uh, especially early in my career. If you talk to them, the last thing they want to do is innovate for a product line that exists. They view that as incremental. And the last thing the product line people want is to get this crazy off the wall thinking coming from the corporate innovation people. So there's a big divide there that splits them. And the political, the political correct thing to do in a company is to allow that divide to go on and you don't bother me and I won't bother you kind of orientation to, to this. The product line people who are supposed to be short term oriented according to what what other, especially according to what the corporate innovation people say, they're separate from the corporate innovation people. They think the product line people, they're off in their own space. And I, and I wish them well, but, and maybe it'll play out, but there they go. The problem here is that that divide is so critical to pulling high major innovations into a product line. And according to the research, if we do, if we do better on major innovations for existing product lines will be far better off than if we're trying to do major innovations only for non-existing new things outside outside the box outside the organization everything new i'm not saying don't do that i'm saying most companies do that too much and don't get to pull the product lines in their productivity far enough they don't do enough. Yeah. If you think about these, these, these product lines, the type of innovation, if that, if that is really the productive area, the most productive area, and we get into stagflation and budgets are going to be cut, it behooves a company to really understand the, that productivity dimension, because, you know, you, you end up, uh, if you end up making the wrong cut, or getting it, that balance incorrect. It's, the balance should not be, it doesn't sound to me like you should just, okay, we're going to just take 20% off our budget equally. Uh, it sounds to me what you're saying is understand where the, where, where, where the value is coming, the, the speed, the ability to be successful, uh, the productivity aspect, right? 
Yes, and and, it, and it's going to come from being able to go farther with your current uh, current product lines. Now, it's not like this is going to happen overnight. Obviously, this is not. But let me give some examples of this that, that show why this matters. In product lines, in product line strategies, we we know that doing multi generational planning and platform of platform levers within the and doing segmentation that takes us into different different markets for different reasons and bringing in new technologies, new building blocks and technologies, and all of that is incredibly important. If we do that only in the short term, though, we end up with a shortfall over the long run. Take for example, this is my favorite example right now. It's and it's 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 almost becoming dated. When Apple, in their computer offering, not their cell phones, and but in their computer offerings, introduced the M1 chip, that M1 chip design, specific to them, by them, specific to them, integrated with Mac OS, the operating system and the chip coming together becomes an awfully powerful awfully powerful platform that they can lever and leverage into further penetration of segments and getting better performance and all. You can, you can see how it would play out. So the issue is, did the product line team come up with that M1 chip like that? No, no, no they would have never thought let's have a new chip. Yeah. Yes. Well, they would have said, I wish I had a new chip sure. and, I, and, yeah. and every product line says, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. But the problem that, 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 that in, in corporate innovation is that that innovation, if you want to call it an innovation, took 10 years to create and design and to manage and to execute and to carry out. It wasn't about some bright, ingenious thought. The genius thought was around strategy of what they were doing. In fact, the acquisition, I think it was about 12 years ago, the acquisition of a small chip company is what drove it along. And curiously, Apple never used any of that company's chips. They, all they wanted was the, the capability. And then to play out the chip capability, design capability, to then leverage and become what they call full stack in the industry, leverage the their position better. That's a strategic move where the long-term and the short-term come together, yet it doesn't happen just by product line people, and it doesn't happen just by corporate innovation people. They have to come together. We see this over and over, especially in the big companies. By the way, let me make one other point here with this. Those big moves are usually quite capital intensive. There's a lot of money that's involved this one in this. Was for sure, yeah. And unfortunately, for the people over in, in corporate innovation, their mantra is to follow the entrepreneur, not the big corporation tenant setup. It's to let's be entrepreneurial. Let's be entrepreneur like. Uh, it'd be the entrepreneur within the company. Uh, by the way, uh, I need to uh, put a footnote into the discussion. I was a colleague to Gifford Pinchot, the creator of entrepreneurship back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Gifford and I know each other. We work with the same company, a small, very small consulting company doing open innovation stuff just before he went out and did the uh, entrepreneurship things. But entrepreneurship failed come the 90s and into 2000. It just failed totally. Why people are bringing it back with not recognizing the failure, why it failed in the first place is quite curious, but it falls back on the notion, does it actually improve uh, improve productivity and does yeah. it actually 
does it actually fit into strategy? What we're seeing is that the entrepreneur orientation is very exciting to, especially to the new generation, the, the, the millennials and all, and they want to be pulled along with that. Yet, if you start thinking about things like minimum viable product, avoid uh, CapEx at, at all costs. If you think about these kind of tenets of what you want to do when you're working out of your garage in an entrepreneur's, they fall flat on their face in a big company. That's exactly the wrong way. It's the boldness of some of these capital uh, capital investments that become quite powerful. That's where the productivity lies. And in fact, if you went back into Anne-Marie Knott's uh, work, you'd start seeing the capital assets become a core component of the productivity equation. And if you avoid it by, by trying to get no capital involved in the productivity it, it, on purpose, because you're entrepreneurial, that's a mistake. That is an absolute mistake in a big company. It's a different world that you need to have in corporate innovation than it is in the entrepreneur's world. And productivity by being an entrepreneurial and lean startups and all is not very helpful. I, I, I know this is I know this is exact not what people want to hear that are involved in it, but it's it, it actually causes more problems. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people thinking and talking about it right now. And, and I think a lot of people would agree with you that people I've had on various guests on the podcast have echoed similar thinking around it. But Paul, how how do you measure productivity? I mean, I, I could measure investment, right? I could say, okay, this is how much we're spending. And then you have to measure outcome in some way. I recall a customer of ours, I won't name names, but they would share us uh, every year, they would do their projection of how much uh, revenue they were, they were going to get from all their innovation, how much return of their innovation. And every year it was a curve that went up. And by the end of the year, by next year's planning cycle, it hadn't gone up. It was kind of flat. And then it was projected to go up and it was flat, projected to go up, flat, up, flat. And it just always struggled. And that is that is a productivity measurement in a way is what kind of return were they getting? But it was at a very, very macro level. Is that the only way to measure uh, productivity or are there other things? Well, uh, let's just take this this measurement issue on to begin with. First, first of all, yes, productivity is going to be output over input. The notion that cash flow is the output is partially right, but not totally right. That's one of the issues here. Shareholder value is not always associated just with cash flow on a, on a given time frame. It's about expected cash flow. It's about competitive position. Let me give, for example, that uh, Warren Buffett's famous uh, shareholder value correlation to what he calls the economic moat that a company creates. The economic moat is like saying, we've done things strategically that, that prevent other competitors from entering what we're trying to do. That allows us to satisfy customers and make more money by satisfying customers in those areas without having to back off on, on margins and all. That moat itself is of value, and that moat itself would then correlate to a higher price earnings ratio or shareholder value, if you see what I mean. So uh, what we know in strategy, we want uh, three things to actually happen concurrently. We want cash flow, preferably positive, but it doesn't always have to be. Ask Amazon. <laughs> and then customer satisfaction delight or user experience kind of measures 
and then competitive position, competitive position on, on being able to offset what competitors are doing or block competitors from what they're, what, what they could do, team with them. And I know that this is uh, getting deep into strategy, but when you get into the notion of productivity, you're trying to, to drive along those three vectors all at once. If you're looking at revenue, top line revenue, it's, it's actually, it's a contributor in there. However, then you've got a uh, contribution. Let me, sh- let me share with you one of the problems with uh, innovation and revenue. When a company takes on corporate innovation, it does lots of little things. Those little things come in and each one contributes to the company. However, the issue becomes what we call complexity costing. The more you expand the offering set across many different areas in little ways, you have to set up infrastructure in the company to support that. That is complex. The complexity of of, of your offering increases uh, increases faster. And one of the things that we've, the rules that we kind of go by in this is that complexity costs increase by the square of the complexity. In other words, if I if I double the number of products in my line, I could quadruple the cost of being able to, to carry it out. That's quite something. And it's like I've hurt my productivity by driving up all these things. And that's why the fallacy of this going in with revenue, you don't know what's really going to happen. You don't know. Are you actually increasing competitive position? Are you actually increasing customer satisfaction? And as, does the net cash flow actually look different when you're mm-hmm. doing this? Mm-hmm. That's, it, it's, it's a good help. You'd want to know this stuff, but it's not not sufficient. And when we get to the productivity measure, it becomes more about what actually happens to value of, for, for shareholders, not the revenue in this this quarter or, the, or, or that that's not really help as helpful in fact that value to the shareholder is more about what the strategy should be focused on rather than rather than just revenue yeah and in your paper you extend this into uncertainty you're kind of helping people understand that whole dimension of it share a couple thoughts on that yes well, when you get into corporate innovation, you, you know that you're dealing with loads of uncertainty. In incremental product development, you're not dealing with loads of, in, of uncertainty. So the uh, uncertainty domain looks totally different in corporate innovation than it, uh, in the beginning stages until it comes up to be to be something. The issue we've learned, and there have been some really brilliant contributions in this way. And I call out a guy named uh, Dave Snowden on, on this in his Kinefin. Is that how you say that? Sinefin, yeah. Kinefin, aha, well, I didn't know. Yeah. That's right. And so this deals with <laughs> complex uncertainty, uh, complicated uncertainty, uh, orderly chaos, and, and pulling and trying to understand what you're doing doing at each stage. The flow of a, of a project in corporate innovation is to try to figure out a domain to work in, then, then build up insights around that to get uh, to understand what's going on in the complex uncertainty from chaos to complex, and then pull it down into and do probing research that pulls it down into the complicated world that most, most engineers and marketers know how to deal with the complicated world. So, so just to give a, a, an analogy here, in, I love Dave's analogy. He said, working on a Ferrari is a complicated task. It's, a, it's something complicated, but there's somebody that can do this and get it done right. 
But understanding the Amazon rainforest ecosystem, that's complex. That's very complex. And understanding it is different than understanding the Ferrari. So when we go through innovation, corporate innovation, we're going from chaos, not really understanding anything that we're doing in a domain. Once we start focusing on the domain, we get the complex uh, areas to, to deal with. Then we can move over into, uh, into the complicated. Now I say that in just a quick couple of sentences, it can take companies years to get through the complex, to get into the complicated. And, and that means the people that work on that complex, the, the chaos and the complex are totally different in mindset than the people working on the others. More specifically, what I call out in the white paper is that the tools that we have to work through complicated, you know, voice customer, all the things like the, the typical things that we've learned in, in different areas, even entrepreneurial things that, that we learn, MVPs and all that, that's, that's complicated and more towards orderly. When we get into complex, it's dealing with a very different different uncertainty and state of underlying opportunity. Note this big difference between product, products and product lines and corporate innovation. It's that- yeah, It lines up, yeah. You can't screen your way into the complex corporate innovation world. It's not about screening. It's about working your way through the flow and organizing things and. When you, when you do incremental screening, that's, that's okay when you're down at the end in an orderly, complicated, orderly way. You can do incremental screening in a product line process, uh, a product development process, but it's not at all helpful in the first uh, complex stuff. You have to let this stuff form and emerge uh, from the flow. Yeah. So what I offer up it's not just what many others are saying, and they're saying it correctly, that you need to match the HR mindset, skills, capabilities, and teaming to that complex area, chaos and complex area at the beginning, but you need to match the tools. Unfortunately, the tools that we have in the systems that support those tools are all geared towards the complicated orderly stuff. So if I took you into, you know, I'll pick a pick on you guys. If I took you into uh, portfolio management and project management of, of uh, stage gate, and if I took you all into waterfall, even agile, you're starting to see that it's really down here in the comp complicated orderly fashion not over in the complex world of uncertainty and trying to get a, something to emerge. However, the key that I found is what when I start applying product lines as systems to the thinking that goes on in the complex world, especially related to existing product lines, not just the formation of a new product line, remember our discussion about productivity, but when I'm trying to extend and find grander things for existing product lines, if I take product lines as systems and be able to map out the systems and then look at their systems as they flow into the future, I begin setting the stage for what's called an enabling constraint that helps me conquer the world of complexity. It, it's an aid in helping to overcome the world of, of complexity to bring it more into the world of the complicated. Uh, so that's the big, big insight here. It's like, oh, we could use this connection to bridge uh, product lines as systems to bridge future looking corporate innovation to 
near-term product line and product management so that we're getting the bigger bang of the two coming together, the great divide. Let me say one, one thing about the great divide, and I'll share this with you, Paul, in particular, because we've seen this over our whole careers. When we first started, the big divide that everybody was always writing about were these silos and functional, functional divisions within companies. And today, there is not a corporation that doesn't have some sort of cross-functional orientation, teaming, and process that, that takes, takes that on. I'm declaring that the big divide that's causing the productivity problem is not functional, but time-based. It's the near-term versus the long-term. It's the split. It's why the product line people say, okay, you corporate innovation people, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. It's that's the divide. We need incorporation, large corporations to be able to bridge that divide. That divide is incredibly big and it's very important if we want to improve productivity. I would say to any young person today, take that on as a task of bridging the, the long-term and short-term divide in companies. And we don't have to think about all this functional divide. We know that we have lots of things set up. Every company is doing stuff. The problem is this long-term, short-term divide. We need to conquer that in order to drive up productivity. Paul, I think that's really insightful. And I connect right back to the beginning when you were talking about how the the corporate innovation people see the product line innovation people and vice versa. And it is about, it is about time. It is. I, if I'm in product line innovation, I'm, I'm innovating for the now for, you know, for I'm driving our revenue for this year, next year. And if I'm in corporate innovation, it's way out there. Right. So I think your M1 example, your M1 chip is a great one. That was a long effort by Apple. So I think I like your time-based idea. I think there's, there's a lot of merit to that. I encourage the listeners who are listening in to go, to go get a hold of Paul's white paper. And in, ca in case you're wondering, what was that Kinefin, Cinefin about? It's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. -E and, and go read the paper and find out what that is. Yeah. And actually, it's a whole field. And there's just so much to learn. Dave Stoden did a marvelous job of building this up over the last early two decades. He comes out of knowledge management. It's really at IBM. And, he, and it really has helped us understand how to deal with these problems of high degrees of uncertainty and, and what to do. He's not an expert. Don't, he won't profess to be an expert in, in innovation or product management. He'll talk about, uh, he'll talk about these project management or agile. He knows all, all, all about these things, but his orientation is towards the problem solving and the context of the problem yeah. with Kinefin. You, you tied it all together with a lot of the research and learnings that you've been doing for many years. So long as I've known you, probably longer with your, your product line, your flow, all the product line thinking, all of those things, they, they just, they just all kind of tied together nicely in that, uh, in that white paper. So I think uh, you're making great progress on your building on this uh, thing you've been creating for all these years and taking it taking it to the next level. I think it's, it's really great work and I'm just, I've enjoyed it. And I love, I love following what you're doing and, and I appreciate you coming on the show to just start to share some of that with us. And keep up the good work. You're putting out some great blogs to listen to. Uh, people don't have to agree with everything's being right. said, but stimulate the thought, man. That's right. That's it. It's great. 
Yeah. Well, Paul, again, thanks for joining us. It's, it's, as always, it's a fantastic discussion and let's keep in touch. You know, let's have you again on the show as you, you just have, I know there's so many things you, so many things you could share to remind people if they want to get a hold of you and find you and track what you're doing, what's the best way? Uh, that would be really through our website and that's, uh, adept, A-D-E-P-T hyphen PLM, like product line management, adept hyphen PLM.com. Just go to LinkedIn and put my name in Paul O'Connor. You're probably going to find me someplace. I'll be listed amongst all the Paul O'Connors in the world there someplace. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see somebody that's doing uh, uh, product line strategy stuff, and uh, that that's me. Also, look uh, look in the show notes. I encourage people to look there because we'll have all the links in there uh, that, that we've been talking about. And and do go out to adeptplm.com because there's a lot of good material out there. There's this white paper, but there's plenty of other things, so lots of helpful information. So Great, Paul. Well, I wish you a good rest of uh, your, your spring here. And, you know, as we ramp back into the next phase of new normal, whatever that is. I love people keep talking about the next new normal. <laughs> We're never there, but uh, good luck with uh, your business in the short term here. Excellent, Paul. Thank you much for having me. And to all your listeners, thank you. Very glad you could join us and listen in and uh, you know, hear what, uh, what people like Paul have to say. I wish you all a good week and uh, we'll, we'll take care. We'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.